I'm going to start off with a little bit of uh, confession here. Have you, have you ever heard the term guilty little pleasures? And I, I thought, like, is that the right term? And so here's my definition of guilty. I think it means something that one imbibes and enjoys on occasion while acknowledging it is not typically edifying or wholesome, but not really destructive. Well, I'll admit, one of mine is reading the threads that come in my inbox from nextdoor.com. Is anyone on that? I, I, don't, I don't do the Facebook or the Instagram, but for some reason. Well, one, I get, like, I get numbers of like contractors and people that do stuff, and sometimes I get posts that really make me pause and think. But other times, it just makes me feel more socially savvy, <laughs> wiser. Here, uh, let, let, me, let me read you such a post. Post from Betsy and Cascade. Did anyone else get visited by Jethro Security today? The guy that visited us was very aggressive. I thought of saying, I need security from you. He is tall with red hair and with a red goatee. Look out for him. Response. From Joni in Alger Heights. I would call the company and ask if they have a guy matching that description. He might have been casing your house. Another response to the original post. What does his hair color have to do with it? Why did you have to mention he had red hair or a goatee? Now this is a lot of love to the second and third row. We have a lot of, we have a lot of beautiful red hair, orange hair. <laughs> My mom who sits there. She loves, you, lo you love red hair and orange hair. And, and actually, I have an inferior complex, inferiority complex to all of you people because she would always, t she would always point out, look, look, isn't that so beautiful? <laughs> isn't that a handsome young man? And I'm like, <laughs> So there's a lot of confession going on. Anyway, response to the original post and possibly to the first response. You are all very dramatic. The woman that came to my door was very polite. She did not have red hair either. It was more of a strawberry blonde. And she was not selling security, but reverse osmosis systems. Response to the immediately above post. Lady, what are you talking about? She's talking about security, not osmoting. Please be attentive to the original post. It is rude for you to waste our time like this. Response to the immediately above post. It is people like you with... And, and is people like with you, like you, and mean responses why I'm not sure I like being on next door. Uh, people with goatees are scary. <laughs> response, to, response to her. It is a free country and we have free speech. I will post and correct whomever I'd like. Response to the original post. What was the name of the security company again? Was it Tall Security? Response to the original post. Does anyone know what is going up at the cor corner of Cascade and 28? Maybe another Starbucks? <laughs> Response to the original post. I think you need two 285-pound dogs like I do. That is all the security that I need. That and the Second Amendment. 
Response to the immediately above post. See what you are going to do. See, so you, what are you going to do? Go around shooting the first person that comes to your porch real smart, and so on and so forth. How can you not read that? So look, you all feel a little bit better about yourselves too. But people are all over the map. All over the map. And that's what we're going to see in responses to Paul. All the way from murderous rage, all the way to what we're going to see Barnabas. Barnabas pops up again. I, I, I got to preach, the last time I preached, or two, two times ago, Barnabas came up. This guy's fascinating to me. So, anyway, let's, let's jump into it. Uh, last week... Hmm. Last week, we, were, we looked at the conversion of, of Saul. Saul was on his way to Damascus. Christ appeared to him and speaks to him and blinds him. Uh, Paul goes and goes into Damascus, and Ananias comes and lays his hands on him, and he receives the portion of the Holy Spirit that we were all waiting for. Right? And now we pick up in Acts 9, 19b. Um, through 31. So if you have your Bibles. I should just start putting it up on the screen. Help us go faster. All right. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So... Per usual, here, here are three questions that are going to guide our exploration today. Um, first, how did Paul switch gears so fast? He went from being okay with murdering Christians or having them die to fighting in the synagogue, arguing that Jesus is the Christ and that people must change. How do you, like, who can flip a switch that fast? Second, the reactions to him all are, are all over the place. What gives? And then lastly, why is the story of Paul curtailed 
with some sort of conclusion. Verse 31 seems to be sort of a wrap-up of sorts. You're, you're just sort of getting moving in the, in, the Saul, in the Saul story, and it abruptly ends. And next week, we're going to be talking about Peter. And you're like, I thought, like, it's mostly about Paul from here on out. Like, what gives? So, um, first, how does he switch gears so fast? How does he... Um, some are amazed because, again, like I said, he goes from re- being prepared to arrest Christians, have them dragged off, and if they get voted to be killed, okay, he's okay with that. All the way to arguing in the synagogues that Jesus is the Christ, and he's cleaning house. People can't, people can't engage, they can't beat him. And I think... So how does he switch gears so fast? The answer, I think he actually does not switch gears that fast. Turn with me in Galatians 1, 11 through 17. I'm going to start, I'm just going to start reading for, to save time, and you can catch up, and I'll slow down when I get to the really important part. Galatians 1, 11 through 17. For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism, Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was, repl- was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him, among him, preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now here's, here comes the important part. 17. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles b- before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he's saying, Damascus... Where he was converted, Arabia, Damascus. Okay. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said... He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So, a first blush reading of Acts makes it look like Paul's on his way to to Damascus. Paul is converted. Paul immediately has this wonderful, perhaps lengthy ministry in Damascus. And then he goes to Jerusalem. Galatians says, okay, Paul was on his way to Damascus, he gets converted, he goes to Arabia, goes to Damascus, then goes to Jerusalem. So Bible Interpretation 101 in this situation, you have two texts that, are, that appear at first blush to be contradicting one another. So what do you do? 
Well, one, you see, is, is there, there's two options. One, there's a textual corruption that we don't really know what to do with. Uh, you, you, can, you can sort of see these, these things noted in the, in the footnotes of your Bible if they're not really sure of a particular reading of a text or whether perhaps a, a particular verse is supposed to even be in the, in, in the, uh, in the text. Or you're missing something. And I think in this case, we're missing something. So what is going on here is basically in between 19A, where we left off last week, and 19B, where we started off this, this week, there was a pretty lengthy interlude where Paul actually disappeared from Damascus and went to Arabia. Right? So basically this means that Luke, Luke is really, in this, in this passage, he's concerned about talking about Paul's time in Damascus and not really giving a point-by-point blow. You know, he's not, giving a, he's not giving Paul's account blow for blow. And you can do that. Um, he, he does this in verse 31 where he says, where is it? He says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. At no point in Acts was Galilee mentioned. Like, he just, he, seeming, seemingly arbitrary, he, he's, he's not misordering things, he just, he mentions things when he, it seems like he feels like it, right? So there is no error in the text, He's simply giving the highlights. Um, so let's say, for instance, you go to a wonderful university like Ohio State University. And you, go, you get on suspension, and you have to spend a year or two at U of M, Michigan State. Maybe you don't talk about that so much. Because when you return to Ohio State, you graduate, and so you just talk about your time at Ohio State. Oh yeah, there's no, there's no uh, second sermon, so the damage is done, and I can't, I can't get, get you back. So anyway, Paul did not switch gears as fast as it might appear, and I mean, sanctification takes a little bit of time. I think Paul probably even took a little bit of time to, to, to switch gears. I mean, this is dizzying, right? So, and I think this is a little encouraging for us. The turn of our will, the turn of our will, the aspect of us that um, is definitely changed in conversion, is quick. But aspects of us lag. Right? And I think there's a ton of applications. I mean, we could spend all day on applications to this. Application one. Like with children, we must be discerning how and when to admonish young believers. I mean, people that are young, young in the faith. Right? Man, when are they being sinfully obstinate? When are they just being a little naive? You know? It's, it's hard to know. I mean, I, I thankfully have been on the, the receiving end of plenty of grace in my early, my early Christian days. Because, I, I mean, sometimes people discern it. He doesn't really know any better. Like, let's be very gentle with him. And then later, I, sometimes I get a good pounding. And that's good. Because I can take it now. 
Application two. Um, you know, for, for some of you, for some of you, um, you may be thinking, man, I wish I would further. I mean, everyone feel like that a little bit? I, I do. Sometimes something happens and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I completely, how did I do that again? How did I mess up again? Same area. I even thought I had it beat, you know? I mean, for all of us, the instruction is take advantage of the means of grace. The means of grace are activities where we expect God to meet us and work on us. Studying the Bible individually and in groups, worship, communion, baptism, praying, praying individually, praying in groups, the list goes on. But there's a lot of, a lot of areas in which we plan, that we expect God to meet us and work on us and just build us up spiritually. Um, years ago, and, and we still have some life groups, we still have some life groups existing, but one of the, this, these were the two main rules of life groups. They called for accountability in Bible study and prayer. Not necessarily rooting out sin, certain sin areas. Because we took the approach, the, the sort of C.S. Lewis approach, you put first things first, and all things will tend to follow and, and fall into place. You focus on the Lord, a lot of times the garbage gets taken care of. You focus on the Lord, your heart starts to change, and before you know it, certain things become... Um, less challenging. Right? Every now and then, though, you do need to stop. You need to pause because something in your life is so distracting that you just got to pound at it. Maybe that's what, part of what Paul was doing in Arabia. Who knows? Switching gears for him. Uh, but you need people to come alongside of you and help you. Also, I mean, keep in mind, for a lot of you out there who are just just really desperately wanting to grow in the Lord more, and you feel like you have, like, just weights clinging to you. I mean, acknowledge that there are, there are, we all have sinfulness in here. We all have sin problems in here. But also, there are certain issues that might not even be sin that are holding you back. Um, spiritual oppression. Um, non-sinful uh, mental issues, chemical imbalances, right? You need to walk with other people. You need to, you need to, get, you need to walk with other people and, and take some of these things on. Don't try to do these things alone. Uh, we were not built to do these things alone. But also, there's a lot of people probably in this, in this uh, place that, are, that beat themselves up needlessly. For certain, for certain reasons. I mean, I think probably even for me, only, you know, it's, it's only been in the last 10 years, I can nicely discern between, you know, chem- chemical, you know, within myself, chemical imbalance versus spiritual oppression versus just plain old sinfulness or a mixture of all of them, right? It takes time. It takes discernment. But anyway, we all are lagging, Right? For those of you that are not worried, I'm worried for you, I guess. You're like, nah, 
who in the world is this guy talking to? All right, moving on. Reactions to Paul. Reactions are all over the place. What gives? All right. First, in verse 24, you have Jews in Damascus that are ready to kill Paul. Then in verse 29, you have Jews in Jerusalem that are ready to kill Paul. I mean, Paul, it says in the text that Paul is proving that Jesus was the Christ. He is doing this from the Old Testament. The New Testament does not exist yet. Or maybe some books have been written. But, I mean, he's, he's proving that Jesus is the Christ purely from the Old Testament texts. I mean, Jesus is there. And it's not like he's just giving them a good run for their money. He's, he's, he's mopping the floor with them. So much so that their only response is, we have to kill this guy. I mean, that's how clear it was. I wish, I wish we had every debate on record that Paul had. I mean, it, you'd probably be fla- we'd probably all be flabbergasted. We'd probably also get a great li- uh, lesson in Bible interpretation of prophecy. and Man, it'd be awesome. But God decided that, you know, what we need is, is what he's given us. Um, there are people also who are in the middle. The ones who give him a lukewarm greeting. <laughs> Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts. So. Okay. There should have been much more. I actually, plan, I, I actually typed out pause for laughter in that. Not pause to explain the joke, man. Where was I? Yeah, 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 lukewarm greeting. The, the church, so, I mean, the, the church in Jerusalem and the apostles give him the lukewarm greeting. They're like, mm, I don't know about this guy. Right? It's pre- I mean, this, is the, this must be the crazy thing about Saul's conversion. I mean, this is no story. I mean, the, the very church that he's trying to defend, they're a little standoffish with him. But then we have the positive extreme. Um, there is a group called his disciples in verse 25. There's, a people, there's people that see his brilliance and his heart, and they follow him. But then one of my, who's, who is like becoming one of my heroes in Acts, Barnabas. Again, he's, he's sort of a behind-the-scenes guy, and I kind of like behind-the-scenes people. And Barnabas, um, Barnabas is very cool to Paul in verse 27. Uh, we saw Barnabas is someone to be emulated when we talked about Acts chapter 4. But not only is he generous with his money, he is very generous with people. And I think those things often go hand in hand. You don't really know stingy people who are like really gracious with people. You know, um, but he sees Paul's past as God's victory. So he sees Paul's past as God's victory, and I think that's one of the principles we can uh, glean from this text. Start looking at your past as Christ's victory. 
Be a Barnabas to yourself and to others. And I mean, I think this is, the application is the same. Um, you know, I've, I've been through enough, enough uh, conversations with Christians, you know, uh, plenty, plenty of interviews of congregants. And I mean, the one thing that strikes me is a common note is there's a lot of people that, are, that feel very guilty about their pasts. But... I mean, Barnabas sees their past as, this is Christ's victory. Like, look where you were. That was you. Didn't that that stink? But look where you are now. You are are God's child, and, and I declare you righteous. You're attached to Christ. But we need to keep our focus. Again, I think the application is the same. Keep your focus on Christ. And typically, all other things, all other things will tend to take care of themselves. And every now and then, you will have to stop and focus on a particular area of sinfulness or, or some challenge. But for the most part, is keeping the focus on the Lord. Also, we need more Barnabases. Find out what is going on in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Spur them on, encouraging them. Don't, so these, don't see those people around. Be, just be one. I mean, I, just in, in preparation for the sermon, I, man, I just started going through um, just so many people throughout my lives who have been you know, either consistent Barnabases, just being an encouragement to me, or who, you know, occasionally will come in and just, just be in a, a huge encouragement. And it really can, like, if you're even on the fence of, you know, on the fence making you know, a bad decision, a good decision, man, coming alongside someone, being encouraging, being gracious, helps get them on the right side of the fence. So be a Barnabas. All right. Uh, concluding verse. Concluding verse. Um, why is the story of Paul curtailed with some sort of conclusion? Now, it is interesting because many commentaries, um, uh, commentaries that I read, they will actually separate this out and not really include it as part of the passage. And, and let me read it for you out loud. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Again, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So some, a few observations from the text. First, the word ecclesia. The word for church, the Greek word for church, um, it typically refers to a local congregation, like Forest Hills Baptist Church. But in this text, it's talking about an entire region as the church. And I'm not really sure what to do with it. I just thought it was interesting to point out. Uh, placement. 
it seems to be, this verse seems to be a unit closing of sorts. Okay? It names um, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Those are all the Jewish hotspots. So it seems to be concluding and like, look, the Holy Spirit has visited Judea, Samaria, apparently Galilee, even though not really anything about Galilee has been said up to this point. But all the places where the Jew- Jewish people are, congre- are congregated um, intensely, those areas have been visited. And we're moving out in concentric circles. It's now in verse 10, well, I'm sorry, chapter 10, that we're eventually going to run into Peter and, Cor- the Peter and Cornelius um, story, where the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit is going to fall upon them as well. So, another thing that, that is interesting is the very positive nature of this verse. This is happening amidst persecution. The church see the reality of some of the very negative reactions out there. But they also see how God brings people to him and changes people. They're seeing it real time. Even though persecution is going on, even though bad things are afoot, they still, they still walk in the fear of the Lord, not in the fear of man. And they are comforted by the Holy Spirit. They can look to, they can, they can see the reality out th- outside pressing in upon them. But they can also look inside and say, yep, God's working. Yep, God's working there. God's working there. This is, this is all real. Very encouraging. Um, Daryl Bach, he's, a, he's a, a fine New Testament scholar. He writes this about verse 31. He says, once again, as in Acts 7 to 8, the word is victorious. Even in rejection, as the church grows in its dependent on God, dependence on God's protection and direction, success is defined not by numbers, but by faithfulness in giving out the gospel. So the principle here, um, fear the Lord and great things in the church will happen. Now this is not supposed to be a health and wealth gospel sermon. All you have to do is follow the Ten Commandments and you'll be a millionaire by next week. You know. That'd be pretty cool, but... But this is for all of us. This is, this is, a, this is a challenge for all of us. Not, not each one of you individually. Of course, we're all, the individuals together make the whole. But this is a call to the church to walk in the fear of the Lord. And great things in the church will happen. Serving where we can. Following the Bible the best we can. Praying for others. If you don't see God working... In a God-fearing church, you have to be around more, right? He is working. I mean, one of, one of, the, one of the most wonderful things that, like, uh, during uh, our, our Sunday morning hub group is to hear, not only pray for one another, but also hear answered prayers from time to time. It's just, it's wonderful. 
get excited about answers to prayer. Let me, let me, let me, let's talk about a little twisted aspect of us. I think sometimes, because I've experienced this, sometimes answers to prayer almost seem like a, a, answers to prayer for someone else seem like maybe a loss for you. Anyone willing to like admit that you've actually felt a little bit like that? I think sometimes we kind of look at when God answers prayer, maybe as uh, like, why not me? Why isn't my prayer getting answered? But I think we need to change our mindset and be more like the church, the church of Acts, where they saw any answer to prayer, you know, regardless of who the person is in the church. Maybe the person annoys you a little bit or they're always jibber-jabbering, that would be someone like me, who's, you know, but in answer to prayer, use that as a sign of God working. Um, Hearing people's testimonies and celebrating answers to prayer is one of the healthiest and best things, I think, for the church. Um, I had had the fortune in my PhD program, I had a bunch of folks who I just came to love very godly people, like I'm just, not only am I better intellectually for being around them, I'm just, a, I'm a better Christian for having been around them. And, you know, we were, we're all coming into, into the PhD program at a time where, you know, uh, Christian universities and seminaries are shrinking. There's not a lot of jobs out there. And so, like, everyone's kind of, like, freaked out. Like, we've, we've, we're dedicating four to five years of our lives on this. And what will the payout be? And I remember early on, when someone would get something published or get to teach class, you're like, like, like I'm not doing anything, you know? Because I think there's this fear that, you know, that there's, there's not, not enough fish to go around. But this is, the, this is God, this is, the feeding, this is the God and the feeding of the 5,000. You know, if you see someone to get a fish, you're not like, oh no, there's only one fish left. No, this is, this is God. There's, there's innumerable fish. Right? Celebrate it. I remember, I remember finally a point, a point where things changed and... Like, people, people started getting jobs, and, you know, and, you know, I hadn't had, I didn't have a job yet, but I was like, yeah. I was happy for them, but I also was happy, God's working. Like, I could see God working in these really seemingly desperate times where God's working, and he does work. This is the God, this is the God who creates ex nihilo. We have to be, we have to be careful about uh, fear of scarcity, I guess. So, yeah, I'm doing pretty good on time. A lot better than last week. But let me, let me just, just in, 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 uh, in sum, the turn of our will might be quick, but aspects of us lag. Start looking at your past as Christ's victory. 
In other words, be a Barnabas to yourself and others. And then fear the Lord, and great things in the church will happen. Now, as I typically do, I typically try to make these into one sentence or two sentences. I didn't really feel like this at the time. But last night, I was like, can I make this into one or two sentences? And I did. So for those of you that were waiting for it, so sanctification is a, pr- is a process. Stop. Like, period. Sorry. No, no. Sanctification is a process, period. But if we view our past as Christ's victory and fear the Lord together, sanctification will be mutually reinforcing and a little faster. But that takes us all. And we all have to get our oar in the water. We have to all fear the Lord. Do the best we can. Uh, Focus on the Lord. And we will grow together. And it doesn't, and again, it doesn't matter, you know, there are, I, I guarantee there's, there are things that have happened in the church or com- conversations you've had in the church. If you've been here for any number of years, you see that it's not perfect, right? This is not a perfect church. Look around. We're a bunch of, we're a bunch of sinners who have been redeemed. So when people don't act perfectly or say exactly what they should say, should we really be surprised all the time? But let's all focus on the Lord, put our focus where it should be, and do this thing together. 